There is a weapon that Satan, the enemy, has used for years to destroy God's people, to destroy or attempt to destroy God's family. And it's a weapon that he still continually tries to use to break God's family apart. And that weapon is the power of assumption. It's assumption. Now, the word assumption or to assume means to accept something as true or certain without evidence, without proof. And it has been said that we judge others based on their actions, but we judge ourselves by intention. I was just having coffee this week at a new coffee shop that has opened up here in the north side called Yin's Coffee. And no joke, I'm sitting there preparing this message and looking it over, and I overheard two guys, I believe they work together, say, I don't want to assume the worst, but assumption. And I think you would agree that we are living in a world that assumes the worst of one another. Let me dive into that a little further. We assume the worst of each other in the sense of, if you support this, well then you must support that. Or if you voted for this person, then you must be fill in the blank. If you believe this to be true, well then you're one of these people. Or if you think this should happen or you think that should happen, then you are blank. And even with masks, if you wear a mask, you are in this category. If you don't, you are in this category. We often think about how often we assume the worst of others' intentions. And I wonder how many are here today where you no longer have longtime friendships or relationships your marriage is on the rocks or nearly over. Brothers and sisters, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters who are no longer talking or in broken relationship all because of assumption. Relationship after relationship broken because you and I have assumed the worst of someone else's intentions. You and I, we talk about a lot. This year is a year of where we are striving to live by faith. It is by faith. And as people of faith, we understand that we are, to we are to be people who live and are led by the Spirit, not people who walk and live in the flesh. Yet when we live in the flesh and not the Spirit, our minds naturally Assume the worst in other people. And as your pastor and looking at our world and the culture and even the global church, I wonder, not outside of these four walls or outside God's kingdom and family, but inside, I wonder how many relationships have been destroyed inside the family of God because of negative assumption. I wonder how many relationships are broken. I wonder how many people have left churches because they assumed the worst. 
I wonder how many church splits there have been because we have assumed the worst of each other. We've made conclusions about someone else's motive without having a conversation and trying to understand heart. We've allowed our imagination to run wild about intentions and connected dots that really aren't even there. All because we have assumed the worst in one another. The writer of Proverbs writes this. He says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. You want to tweet something, that would be a good thing to tweet. Fools have no interest in understanding. All we want to do is share our own opinions. We've looked at Genesis, and from the very beginning of Genesis, God called out a people. He called out a people, the Israelites. And these people were chosen to be a blessing to all of the earth. And if we go back and remember, if we go back and read through Genesis, we will remember that it's jealousy, resentment, misunderstanding, and misassumptions, wrong assumptions that the enemy used to try to destroy God's family and to destroy God's promise in their calling to be a blessing to all the earth. We remember two brothers, Cain and Abel. We remember Isaac and Ishmael. We remember Esau and Jacob. We remember Rachel and Leah. And today we will remember Joseph and his brothers. Assumptions running wild. Attempting to destroy God's family. God still desires his family, us, You and I, we're God's family, and he still desires us to be a blessing to the world. And yet, the same thing that had happened in Genesis, I believe is happening today. Jealousy, resentment, misunderstanding, and negative assumptions are still threatening to divide and to ruin relationship within God's church. Church, let me remind you, we have a world that is watching us. And right now, I believe the church of Jesus Christ is failing in loving one another well. We are becoming increasingly more known for hypocrisy and hate than we are grace and love. And I'm not talking about how we love and extend grace to those outside of the faith, but rather truly loving those with whom we share a commonality of redemption because of the blood and cross of Jesus Christ. Assumptions are running wild through the halls and through the sanctuaries of our churches, and it threatens to divide God's people and destroy our witness to the world. It's why I've titled today's message, Love assumes the best would you pray with me lord this is a message that you have been burning in my heart not just this week but for the past good past amount of time and it's a message i believe that not only this church but followers of jesus need to hear grasp and understand
It's something that I still wrestle with. And Lord, we recognize that there is a world that is watching your people and that the enemy is running and trying to use negative assumption and division to break your people apart. And now more than ever, we need the reality of your love. We need to love one another well. So Father, I pray that your spirit would come whether that be here on site or whether that be in the living room of someone watching online, would your spirit come and work? Would you change us and help us to love one another well? In your name, amen. We have spent nearly the last year and a half going through the book of Genesis. And we are going to conclude this great book of creation in the next seven weeks. This series that we're beginning this weekend is going to be called Journeys, Journeys with Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite people of the Bible. And hopefully, as you have headed to this weekend, if you watched my weekly update, you know that I encourage you to read Genesis chapter 37, which is where the story of Joseph begins. It's a story very familiar Sunday school story. We talked about one of those last week. And this is one that there even have been movies about in the world. And rather than read the entire portion of Genesis 37, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. I know many of you are familiar. But in Genesis 37, we find Joseph, one of the youngest of Jacob's sons. He's 17 years old, the Bible says. And the Bible also says that this is the favorite son of Jacob, Jacob, which is a problem all in itself, you all understand. And the brothers, Joseph's brothers and Jacob's son are taking care of the flock and Joseph, being a bit of a tattletale, reports back to his dad some of the bad things that they're doing. Now, you could make the assumption that Joseph is making some assumptions about his brothers, but regardless, he tells this to his dad. And about that time, Jacob then gives a special gift to his favorite son, which you know is a special coat. Some call it a coat of many colors. But regardless, Joseph receives a great gift that makes his brothers jealous. And that chapter says that his brothers hated Joseph more and more to the point that they couldn't even say a kind word about their brother. And then Joseph has two dreams. And these dreams are very similar. In one of the dreams, he sees bales of, of wheat and hay bowing down to him, his brother's bales of grain. And then in another dream, the sun, moon, and the stars are bowing down to Joseph. And again, right or wrong, Joseph, Joseph shares these dreams with both his brothers and his dad. We're talking about, again, assumptions running wild. They do. They already don't like their brother. And the Bible says they hated him even more. Well, finally, Jacob sends his favorite son in this special coat off to check in on his brothers. And finally, at a distance, when Joseph gets close, the brothers see Joseph and they notice the special garment he's wearing. And right then, these brothers plot to kill Joseph and there's some disagreement on whether they should kill him or what they should do with him so they grab him and they throw him in a cistern and they end up selling their brother 
selling their brother into slavery. And Joseph ends up going to Egypt. That's the beginning story of Joseph and their brothers, of a dad who had a favorite son. And as you can imagine, a family where assumption, again, is running wild and threatens to destroy God's family, who's called to be a blessing to all of the earth. Well, I'm going to do something you normally wouldn't do, and that's we're going to fast forward to the end of the book. And I want to look at the end of the story. We're going to fast forward 40 years. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to learn and talk about some of this. But as most of you know, this family sees God literally work all things together for good according to his purposes. God uses Joseph's going into slavery to Egypt. He blesses Joseph even in the midst of being in slavery. He elevates Joseph to a position of influence and power to the point that when a famine comes... Jacob and Joseph's brothers are saved because of the influence of Joseph. And there's healing and there's restoration that eventually comes between these brothers who hated their youngest, Joseph. And God does all of this. And yet, we come to the final chapter of Genesis, chapter 50. This is 40 years after that 17-year-old boy gets sold into slavery. And let's look what chapter 50 says. After burying Jacob, their father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. And watch this. Joseph Now will show his anger. This is his brothers talking. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong that we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God and your father, beg you, to forgive our sin. And then look what happens with Joseph. When Joseph received this message from his brothers, he broke down and he wept. Did you catch what happened there? 40 years of healing and restoration of God working out this dysfunctional family. God had delivered and miraculously saved Jacob, Joseph, his brothers, the entire family. He had brought healing and restoration. And the moment the dad dies, the brothers think the worst about Joseph. They think the worst, now he will repay us back. And they lie. And now we find Joseph weeping. And the relationship, all that God restored is threatened to be broken again and it reminds us that you know we tend to get what we look for you and I are often guilty of doing the same thing as Joseph brothers to our own brothers and sisters in Christ we allowed our minds to run wild and again connect dots that aren't there and have negative assumptions of one another has this ever happened to you Have you ever had someone maybe walk into the sanctuary and you're sitting there and they don't sit by you and your mind automatically races, well, are they mad at me? 
Did I do something? Oh, well, they're not good enough to sit by me. Or maybe you pass your pastor in the hallway in the lobby and you think eye contact is made and I don't say anything to you and, yep, assumptions run wild. Maybe you're not invited to a gathering, to a growth growth group. Maybe you're not invited to a dinner. Maybe you're not invited to sing a particular solo being on the worship team. Maybe someone doesn't accept the invitation that you extend to come to your home or show up at your request. Maybe someone doesn't respond to a voicemail or a call or a text message fast enough or at all. Maybe you see a comment posted on Facebook or Twitter. You see a picture on Instagram. And what do we do? We assume. We assume the worst. And my question is, when we do that, What filter, what lens are we filtering these relationships through? Are we filtering them through cynicism or are we filtering them through love? I'm going to give you an up and close personal example today. Those of you who know me will find this to be true and husbands, I think you will relate. We have a joke in in our family, especially between Tara and I. She is uh, an accountant. And she runs and manages our finances wonderfully. And I don't know about you, but husbands, I've been at the store before and I've checked out at Target or Walmart or Dick's Sporting Goods. And within about five minutes, I will get a text. And the, the question will be from my wife, what did you spend $25 on at Target? Now I have two ways to filter that message as a husband. I will be honest and admit my own mistakes, oftentimes it is through cynicism. And I read that. Alan, what did you spend $25 on at Target? And see, in my mind, I'm thinking, what does it matter? Can I not spend $25 at Target without your permission? Do I ask you or bother you every time you spend money? You see where I'm going? When in reality, my wife is going, hey, I'm balancing our checkbook. I'm balancing our account. Can you tell me what you spent $25 on at Target? Do you see the difference? How often do we do that in our marriages? How often do we do that with our children? How often do we do that in the body of Christ with one another? You see, what we assume becomes our reality. When we assume the worst of one another, It leads to fear and anger and bitterness and resentment and ultimately broken relationships. And without proof, what we assume becomes our truth. I asked them to put this up. Look look what happens. You can think of relationships here in the church or even in the text I talked about. We interpret the relationship and we have misguided feelings. And all of a sudden, that leads to us thinking negatively about that person, which all of a sudden means that we will respond in a wrong way. Our response will be negative. And ultimately, it means that relationships are destroyed. You see, because when we assume the worst in others, this is the scariest part of all. When we assume the worst in others, what we are really doing is we are taking the place of God. There is only one 
person in the world that knows the depths and the intentions of our hearts. And that's God. So to fill in the gap, to connect dots and to say, I know what your intentions were, or to assume the worst even, we are taking the very place of God. The prophet Jeremiah says this, but I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. Jesus was the only one here on earth that could have a conversation, that could look deep into someone's eyes and know exactly what their heart and what their motives and what their mind was thinking. Imagine this. Think for a moment, if you will. What would happen in the body of Christ? What would happen if this, if in this church if we started assuming the best of one another? What if we were to extend grace to one another? What if we were to begin giving each other the benefit of the doubt? Can you imagine? Can you see a better picture of God's family? Can you see the hope, the peace, the joy, the conflict resolution? Can you see the unity that would come to God's people if we did that? And if you are a person of faith, if you are a Christ follower, a Christian, this is exactly what Jesus expects of us. Look at these words in the Gospel of John. These are Jesus' words. Jesus says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to his crowd, his friends, these guys that have followed him. I'm speaking to you and I'm giving you a new commandment, Jesus says. Love each other just as I have loved you you should love each other and don't miss this Jesus continues and he says your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples stay here for a minute Becky what will prove to the world that you are a disciple of Jesus what will prove to the world that you're a follower of Jesus what will prove to the world that you are a Christian your love for one another. Your love for one another in this room. Your love for one another in the kingdom of God. Jesus did not say our doctrine, our theology, our beliefs will prove to the world that we're his. He did not say our political affiliation or how we vote will indicate to the world that we're his children or disciples. He did not say that our outspokenness against things that we deem to be unbiblical would show to the world that we're his disciples. He did not say how cleaned up you get or how well you speak or how put together you are on Saturday nights or Sundays will show to the world he did not say that by the crosses you wear or how well you're done or the bumper stickers on your car, that'll prove to the world that you're my disciples. No, he said your love for one another, not even your love for one another outside of these walls. No, my children, your brothers in Christ, your sisters in Christ, those who think like you, don't think like you, if you are a child of God, how you love your brother and sister shows the world whether or not we are really a disciple of Jesus. Love 
requires us to assume the best. If that's what it is that shows the world we're his disciples, then love requires you and I to assume the best of one another. We are not loving one another if we assume the worst of each other. This is a familiar verse, and there's a wedding here this weekend, and I'm sure this verse may be said in the wedding. It's a very familiar passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's love's definition. What is love? If we're gonna love one another and demonstrate to the world, love is patient, it's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It is, it, love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. We are the family of God. And just like your family here on earth and in my family, I disagree with my brothers and sisters sometimes. I disagree with my mom and dad. We have different thoughts. We have different opinions We think different things. And in the family of God, it's no different. But go back, if you would, Becky. Let's look again at this is what it means. If we're going to love one another and show the world that we're his disciples, then we will be patient with one another. We'll be kind to one another. We won't be envious of one another or jealous of one another like Joseph's brothers were with him. No, we won't be arrogant or rude to one another. We're not going to insist on having our own way. If it's not my way, I'm taking the ball and going home. That's not love. Love isn't irritable or resentful of one another. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but we seek justice and we seek truth and we rejoice in that. And look at this. Love bears all things with one another. Love believes all things. It means I will believe the best about you. I will hope for the best about you. I will endure all things in you and with you. If we do that, church, that world will know that we're really disciples of Jesus. Love requires us to assume the best of one another. I want to look at one other verse before we go, and it's Colossians chapter 3. Look at this. Paul writes to the church in this new life. If you're a person of faith, you have a new life, Paul says. And your life is different than your old life. Your new life, Paul says, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. And hold right there for a second. I don't know if... <laughs> If we, in the 21st century, being Western Americans, understand how big of a difference it was between being a Jew and being a Gentile. We are talking about two groups of people that would not sit down and break bread together. That wouldn't talk to each other or say hi if they passed them on a sidewalk. Paul says in this new life, no, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or if you're Gentile. He says it doesn't matter, let's go to the next, if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, if you're a barbaric 
or uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. Paul could have said it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican, black, white, blue, red, green, believe that, believe this. You are one in Christ and that is all that matters. Let's continue. Paul says he lives, Christ lives in all of us. Let's go to the next one. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must do this. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy towards one another, kindness towards one another, humility, clothe yourself in gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, again, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Every weekend when you come to church, you get up, you get dressed, maybe you set your clothes out the night before. A lot of you spiffing up a little bit, you're used to that and that's okay. Paul's saying, you want to talk about clothing. When we come to this place, when we gather amongst the family of God, Be more concerned about clothing yourself in kindness, tender-hearted mercy, goodness, peace, thinking good things of one another, making allowance for each other's faults. That's what it means to be people of faith. I'm gonna end with this. I believe that Spirit is working in some hearts. Maybe there are even some pictures or of faces that come to your mind. And as Christ loved me, as Christ showed forgiveness to all of us, as Christ made allowance for our faults, as Christ went to the cross for our shortcomings, today we need to choose to love blank in all things. And some of you need to fill in that gap. You don't need to tell me. You don't need to tell the person beside you. But you need to think about all that Christ has done for you and recognize that you need to assume the best in that person. My hope as your pastor is that in this church family that we will give benefit to brothers and sisters in Christ that we will be a church that's known for being humble and kind to one another to being patient with one another to making room or allowance for each other's faults each other's mistakes and even each other's differences and we will forgive anyone who offends us. You see, we can disagree and not be disagreeable. We can have unity and not be in uniformity. 
We can have strong convictions without polarization. And we can have diversity and not be in division. But it will require us loving one another well. And love requires that we assume the best. I want us to close in a time of prayer and I don't want to rush this. And I want us to pray for two things. I want you to pray for two things and corporately as we take this time and do it together. I first want you to examine your own heart. And in the prayer that David prayed and wrote in Psalms, Lord, search my heart. Test my thoughts. If you have been guilty of assuming the worst about your brother or sister in Christ, I want you to ask the Spirit to work in your own life to help you to change that. And then we're going to close by praying that we would be a church that thinks the best of one another, that loves one another well, and is blessed with unity because we're living that out, and thereby displaying to our community and to our world that we are really God's disciples. Can we first begin? Let me give you time to examine your own heart and pray. Now I'm going to ask, can we focus our prayers on this church family? That we would be a people that think the best of one another. We would not allow our diversity to bring division. Come on, let's pray for this family of God. Father, it is very easy for us to operate in the flesh and to think the worst of one another. To assume negative assumptions. In my life, I seek your repentance. I seek your forgiveness for that. And I repent times in which I do that. Lord, would you help me? Would you help us as a church? Lord, there's a world that is watching and we recognize that and they are getting plenty of examples of polarization. They're getting plenty of examples of tribalism and assuming the worst. God, I believe that we have an incredible opportunity here in the north side 
with a diversity that we have, not just ethnically, generationally, socioeconomically, but the diversity of perspectives, the diversity of opinions and backgrounds. We have an opportunity to demonstrate to the world that in our differences, we can love one another well. But I know that the enemy would love nothing more than to split this work apart. I pray against the enemy in that regard. I pray that your spirit would invade this place. That you would protect the unity in this place. You would help us to love each other as you have called us to. I ask it in your name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for hearing my heart.